Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Scripture for today's sermon comes from Exodus 20, 8 through 11, and 31, 6 through 17. 16 through 17. The word of God speaks to us. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the gospel of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, good morning. You guys can grab a seat. Uh, If we've not had the chance to meet, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors. It's great to have you with us today. Hey, uh, I wanted wanted to say while we were singing that song, uh, all, all to Jesus I surrender, I just had the sense in the room that some of us, that is a challenging line to sing in this season of life for you. And I've had many, many moments in my life where that's a challenging line to sing. And I, I, I just have the sense that you're here and it's like, I want this to be true, but also I'm struggling for this to be true. And I just want you to know that that's okay. It's okay to be in that place, and we're actually really glad that you're here. Um, church is not like this thing that you do when you get your life put together and have it all figured out. Church and being a part of Jesus's family is something that we are at times really, really messy, and things are hard, and things are dysfunctional, and other times things are better, and things are good. So all that to say, wherever you find yourself today, I'm glad you're here, and I want you to just come in and be well, okay? Come in and be well, and maybe you're hearing the songs that we sing, and you're like, I don't believe any of that. That's okay, too. We're glad that you're here. We really do believe that Jesus has good news to offer and that our culture has a lot of unhelpful bad news to offer, and we want to show you why. So just stick around and and watch our life and hear what we have to say, hear what Jesus and his word has to say, and hopefully that'll be um, not a perfect example, but at least a compelling example of what Jesus is about. So we're glad that you're with us today. Uh, As you know, we are in a series called Rhythms of Grace, and what we're doing in the series is looking at ancient practices that Christians throughout history have built into their lives as a way of abiding in Christ, or as I've been trying to say every week that I've been preaching, as a way of making our ultimate home in God. We love to make our home in places And scripture is offering us to make our home in a person. And that's what these practices are all about. So today's different because we're not going to be camping out in one specific text. Uh, We're going to giving, I'll be giving you more of a biblical overview of an idea. 
and uh, something that's really significant in Scripture. But our bread and butter, our favorite thing to do is take books of the Bible and work our way through. So after this series is over, we have a few more weeks left here, and then we are kicking off our series in 1 Corinthians. So we're going to take like 40-something weeks to work our way through that. It'll be wild. It'll be bonkers. There are things in that book that are bizarre, and we're going to talk about all of them. And so that's going to be a fun series coming up. I'm excited to dig into that. But in the meantime, this is our summer series. So if you have a Bible, grab it. Go to Exodus 20, and we're going to bounce around kind of throughout the text, different places in Scripture. I want to pray for us, and we'll, we'll get in. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just the, the invitation this morning that you have been handing us to surrender everything over to you. And that's not an invitation for some Christians. That's not an invitation for the mature Christians. To be with you is an invitation to surrender our whole life. And I just confess, there are parts of my heart, there are parts of my story, there are parts of my mind, there are parts of my desires that make it really hard to want to surrender. And I want to surrender all to you. That's my deepest desire. And I think that that's our desire as a church, so would you help us? And for the ones that are not sure if they want to surrender and follow you, I pray that you would speak to them and meet them. We don't want to have half of our heart cordoned off for ourselves and half of our heart to you. We want to have all of our heart as an offering of our love for you because of your love for us. So come and move and work today. I pray that today would be a gift as we look at your word and learn and grow. Meet us. Amen. In, uh, in his fantastic book, The Rest of God, by Mark Buchanan, he tells the story about his wife's grandmother, a woman by the name of Alice, that I found so fascinating. So uh, his wife's grandmother, I'll just call her Grandma Alice, she lived in British Columbia in the 1980s, and rumors started to get spread around her small community that you could find gold there, that you could actually dig into the ground or get into the caves or into the river silt and find gold. And so they had all these people from all over the world that were trying to like hit it big with gold on the gold rush and try to find some gold in this area. She thought this is just a bunch of nonsense. One day she's sitting in her backyard, true story. She's in her garden and there's a giant stone in her garden and she couldn't move it. She wanted to move it out of her garden, but she couldn't. It was too heavy. So she just made the decision that, hey, I'll make this a centerpiece of my garden. It was a, kind of an interesting stone. It glittered when the light would hit it a certain way. So she had the thought, I'm going to polish this stone and make it the centerpiece of my garden. So she took a heavy grit sandpaper, a special type of sandpaper, and began to do work on the stone to polish it up so that it would look nice. And guess what started to happen as she was polishing the stone? she started to notice what she thought was gold dust. Sure enough, she like takes her finger that was kind of wet from her, her sweat and her activity, and she holds up her finger, and there's gold dust on her finger. And so then she begins to scrub rigorously on this stone. I mean like a bloodstain trying to get a bloodstain out. She's just going to town on this. I say that like all of us are like, yep, been there. I've scrubbed lots of bloodstains in my life, murdered lots of people, and I know how to, you know. For whatever reason, she's just scrubbing away hard, trying to get this stone, and more gold dust, more gold dust, more gold dust, and her heart is racing. Mark Buchanan describes the whole story like this. She caught the virus in one swoop. She understood with perfect instinct what all this time she dismissed as sheer nonsense, grown men squandering all else, homes and farms 
and families and reputations and flinging themselves headlong into reckless escapades, spending their years burrowing beneath tree roots, grubbing through silt beds. But now she had it too. Gold fever. She was going to be rich. She stopped for a moment to wipe her brow to rest a spell. And that's when she noticed that something was wrong with her wedding ring. The top side was normal, but the underside, the part that nestled in the crease where her finger joined her palm, wasn't. The band there was thin as a cheese slicer wire, thin as a filament. She had nearly sanded her wedding ring clean off. Friends, the stone wasn't gold. What was happening with the sandpaper and her rigorous sanding of the stone basically caused her gold ring to just start to create gold dust and nearly disappear. She was actually throwing away and squandering her actual treasure for something that had no value. And Mark Buchanan, in his book, he says the first time he heard that story, he laughed. And then every time after that, it just made him really sad. Not sad for her as much as sad because he could relate to squandering something of ultimate value for something that had no value at all. And here's the point, friends. When I see that, like, I have been guilty of Grandma Alice's mistake time and time and time again. Here's what I mean. When I get hurried and busy, which is how I tend to live by default, like, I walk fast everywhere I go. My wife, God, like, cursed my wife with the slowest walking skill of any human I've ever met in my life. And so I don't know why he did this, but like I, I, she's like, where are you in a hurry to go to? And I'm like, I don't know. I just want to get there now. I want to be there now. I would rather drive in the opposite direction than sit in traffic. Like I just want to be moving. I want to do things fast. I like, that's just the speed that I, when we, when we first went on our first, no, it was not our first date, our second or third date at one point, she paused and she's like, hey, I'm not going to steal your food because I was just shoveling, you know. I just like to eat fast. I don't know what to tell you. But she was like, I'm not going to steal your food. And if you get hungry, you can buy more. Um, so that's my mode. And, and I kind of, I, I joke about that, but I've kind of built that mentality and way of life into every part of my life. And there have been so many times through my hurried and busy way of life that I've actually squandered what mattered most for something that at the time I thought was valuable, but ended up not having any value at all. I think about the times where I said no to playing with my kids because I had too much work to get done. I think about the times where I've missed my wife's heart because I was too preoccupied with my phone. I think about the times where I've neglected God or spiritually formative practices, the stuff that we've been talking about, because, hey, God, I'm just too busy doing ministry. I don't have time to read my Bible or pray. I think about all these times where I've basically sanded away my wedding band, squandering something that had value for something that didn't have any value at all. Can you relate to any of that at all? Can you relate to a hurried, busy way of life that seeps into your soul? Uh, here's what's interesting about our culture. Busyness is a sign of importance. Busyness is not a sin to be repented of. It's a virtue to herald out to the world. What's the number one question that you ask, or what's the number one response to the question, hey, how you doing? I'm fine, just really busy. That's just what we say as a culture. We think that busyness makes us important. Hey, I'm busy. I'm in high demand. I'm important. People need me. They rely on me. And even if you're not busy, even if all you do is just barely eke out an existence, 
existence at work and wear soft pants all day when you get home and watch TV all night. When someone asks you, how you doing? Oh, just really busy. Because it's, heaven forbid we be honest about what our lives really look like. Busyness is a sign of virtue in our culture. And here's the problem, friends, that there's a type of busyness that can sink past your schedules into your soul and have a damaging effect, not just on your own relationship with the people that you love, but honestly on your soul and your relationship with God himself. And, and, and though it is a good thing to work hard, see last week's sermon on work, it is a good thing to work hard. There's such a sin as overworking that you can actually work to the point that you're going past God's intentions for humanity and it hollows you out in a way that's really dangerous. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said, busy is the greatest enemy of spiritual life. Think about that, busyness. Busy is the greatest enemy of spiritual life. What's the number one problem with most Christians in the West? Well, it's ironically, uh, yeah, the world, the flesh, the devil, that's for sure there. Yeah, cultural stuff is super weird right now, but busyness is kind of at the baseline problem that doesn't even allow you to slow down to think deeply about the other problems. Busy is a danger that you and I face. In fact, some of you, as we've been going through the series, talking about prayer and scripture reading and all these things that we've been digging into, some of you are like, those sound great. I'm just too busy to do them. If only I had more time, I would be a Christian who did these practices. So today, here's what we're talking about. We're talking, we're talking about recovering the ancient practice of Sabbath rest, the ancient practice of resting in Jesus. And so here's what I'm gonna do. Because Sabbath rest is sort of like the, the gateway drug that leads you to all other spiritual practices. If you can get this one right, chances are you can start to get the other ones right. I wanna show you not just a verse, but I wanna show you how significant the concept of Sabbath rest is in scripture. And since this is a foreign concept, we need to do some work around this. I grew up in church constantly and never one time did I hear a sermon about Sabbath rest. I was never given a formula or a grid or a, a biblical pattern of Sabbath rest ever in my life. I never even heard the word that wasn't in a negative context. And so I wanna kind of give you a biblical overview because I actually think this has the potential to change the way that you live. And I'm not like, that's not hyperbole. I think this can change the way that you live. So here's the first thing. You ready? You good? Okay, all right, point number one, the Sabbath and creation. Uh, in Genesis, we actually see this idea of Sabbath rest come on the very first pages of our Bible. Take a look at Genesis 1. We'll have the words up on the screen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Big job, right? He created all things, the heavens and the earth. Very first verse. And then you fast forward at the very end of that chapter, the last verse, it says this, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis 1, God is, ha God is hard at work. He is active. He is doing good things. And then something happens that is kind of unexpected. Like we expect him to be the creator, but we don't necessarily expect him to do what he does in chapter two. So here's the twist. Chapter two, verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he, what? He rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. That is a shocking twist. God rested. So, verse three, God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it 
God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Hey, let that sink in. God rested. Yeah, but I'm really busy and I'm important and people rely on me. God rested. This changes everything. The word that's used here in Hebrew is the word Shabbat. And Shabbat is not just a funny word to say. It is that. But it also is a word, is a word where we get the word Sabbath from. And this word that's used for rest or rested, Shabbat, literally means to stop or to cease, to be done. So here's the idea here. It's not that God was like, ooh, I am exhausted. That was overwhelming. I need a break. The, the type of Shabbat rest that God is doing here is the type of thing that you do after working in your yard all day and you kind of finish up, you, you wipe your brow and you stand back and you look and go, man, that's good, right? It's an enjoyment, it's a delight. Or you build something or you create something or you produce something and it's the pausing and reflecting and enjoyment of the thing that you've made. That's what this word Shabbat means. So God, he creates everything and then rather than just like moving on to the next thing, which would be my tendency, he actually pauses, he Shabbats, he rests and he delights and he enjoys what he's done. So if you're curious, what is Sabbath? Sabbath is a day for delight and a day for celebration. It's a day when you actually cease from your work and you make yourself fully available to God and your family and your closest of friends. For me, it's a day where I put my phone on do not disturb or I throw it on a drawer somewhere and I don't pay attention to it. It's a day where my email is closed off. I refuse to look at my email on the Sabbath and it doesn't matter who you are, you cannot get a hold of me for anything. It's a day when I don't have a to-do list. By the way, every day of my life is marked by a to-do list, but not the Sabbath. It's the one day I don't have a to-do list and I don't accomplish anything and I don't feel guilty about it at all. The Sabbath is a day to reconnect my soul to God because even as a pastor in ministry, and this is true of all of us, my week often gets fractured with tasks and hurriedness and things that need to get done and errands that need to be ran and bills that need to be paid and budgets that need to be kind of figured out and decisions that need to be made. And all week long, it's like a million things are pulling at me and this is a day to cease and to open up my heart to what's good and true and beautiful and reconnect with God again. And here's what's interesting, friends. God built this rhythm into the very, the very fabric of our creation. To be a human in the world is not to be a machine that works for seven days in a row, but to be a human in the world means that you were wired and created by God to work for six days and to rest one and then work for six days, and then rest one, and so on and so forth. And it's fascinating that no matter where you go on planet Earth, virtually every culture on the planet operates on a six-day, one-day-off rhythm because this is how God intended for the world to work. Now, two important things to notice about Genesis 2 that often get overlooked. The first is that God blessed the seventh day. Do you remember that, that line, and God blessed the seventh day. It's really interesting. There's only three things in Genesis 1 and 2 that God blesses. Animals, humans, and then a day. And every time that he says that he blesses something, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, there's something core when God blesses something for that thing to then be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. Animals, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. People, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, 
and then a day. Why? Because no matter how much you love your job, even if you have a dream, your dream job, you know intuitively that you get to the end of your week and your creativity is running low, your energy and passion are running low, and you actually need a moment to cease, to Shabbat, to Sabbath. And it's in that process that there's something fruitful happening where God is blessing it and he's making it come alive and he's replenishing and he's refilling. This is what God intended for the Sabbath day. In addition to that, the second thing to notice about Genesis 2 is that God made the seventh day holy. Now, the, the old rabbis back in the day had this idea of the principle of first mention. And what that means is that there's a word that as soon as that word gets mentioned in scripture for the very first time, that word functions as a definition for all the other times we see the word show up. Now, I don't know how core that is to all of scripture. It's probably some, there's some truth there, but it is interesting that this word holy first shows up in reference to the Sabbath. There's nothing that's called holy in Genesis 1 or 2 until you get to this day that God blesses and makes holy. Now think about that. God made time holy. Why is that a big deal? Well, in the ancient Near East, the only thing that was holy were places. So you had a holy mountain, or you had a holy temple, or you had a holy shrine, or a holy place that you would go to meet with the God or the gods and to worship them. And yet here in Genesis 2, it's not a place, it's not a mountain, it's not a temple, it's not even a garden that God makes holy. He makes a day. That's fascinating. Uh, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, the old Jewish rabbi, said it this way. He said, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. The Sabbath is the presence of God in the world open to the soul of man. Listen to this line. God is not in things of space, but in moments of time. You and I live our lives trying to escape life to find God somewhere, all the while God is trying to intervene and encounter us in moments of time. And specifically, the Sabbath day is a day that God has blessed and made holy for you and I to meet with him and encounter his presence. You don't have to go anywhere, but he set aside a day for you to experience his nearness. How incredible is that? Now, what happens when you and I reject this Sabbath gift that God has given his people. Well, it's not just like you get more done and you become more productive, but when you and I live a busy to hurry life and slip into the habit of working for seven days, and we'll get to what that means in just a minute, then over time what happens is that this has a powerful effect, a corrupting effect on your soul. This has a corrupting effect on your own health, your immune system, your creativity, your energy for life, and more importantly, your ability to engage God and others with your actual, real, non-anxious presence just slips through your fingers entirely. This is why it's such a big deal and why I think as the story of Scripture progresses, it goes from being a gift that God gives to being a gift and a command. And that leads me to the second thing that I want you to see, which is the Sabbath and the story of the Exodus. So fast forward in the story, Genesis, God creates six days, he rests for one. Then you move forward, you have the book of Exodus, and God is redeeming his people out of slavery. Remember that, because that's gonna come into play. He's bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, and he brings them safely across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God gives his people the law. Here's how you think of the law, or how you should think of the law. This is God saying, do you want to know what it looks like to be my unique people in the world? Here's the law. 
you're going to live this way, dress this way, talk this way, act this way, and it's all to set you apart as my unique people in the world that are living in a way that's very countercultural and yet simultaneously attractive. That's what the law is all about. I love, by the way, that he redeems them out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt, then gives them the law. Growing up in my context, it was flipped. It was like, you get the law, and if you can do the law really well, then you get forgiveness on the back end. But with God, the equation actually works opposite. It's you get forgiveness, you get grace, you get mercy, and once you get those things, then you get the law to know how to live. Now here is how you engage the world around you, right? So he gives them the Ten Commandments, and the fourth commandment is this command to Sabbath rest. Look at it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Do you see what he's saying? It's kind of like a Hebrew idiom of like, nobody does work, not even the Roomba at your house. Like everybody's Sabbathing today. And then he goes on to say this in verse 11, for in six days, here's the, here's the logic behind the command, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Just a couple of things I want you to see out of this text. The first is that the Sabbath is a day for rest which is to state the obvious. And you and I read this command. By the way, there's more real estate spent on this commandment than any other of the 10 commandments. And we just kind of go, oh yeah, it's a day of rest. And we walk right past it. But I want you to remember something for a minute. God first gave this command to who? The people of Israel who had spent 400 years enslaved in Egypt under harsh, harsh task, taskmaster where they were forced with backbreaking manual labor to work, 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 to never rest. Their entire value and significance and worth and identity in the world was work. You're a slave and you have a Pharaoh. And here's what God is doing. He's not just bringing his people out of Egypt, but he's actually getting Egypt out of his people. And he's saying, hey, you're not slaves, you're sons and daughters. And I'm not a Pharaoh, I'm a father. And your identity is not in what you do, it's in who I have made you to be. And rather than work, 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 I want you to rest. This is a command. I want you to cease from your labor and rest. You're no longer slaves, you are freed people now. This is profoundly good news. It's a day for rest. And God really cares about this. It shows up again and again and again in the Old Testament. Here's like the, maybe the most forceful one in Exodus 31. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing a Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant, how long? Forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And here's my favorite line, and was refreshed. Did you know that it was possible for God to be refreshed? God was refreshed on the Sabbath day, and he's inviting you and I to be refreshed. How many of you just like, you think about your week, you think about your chaos, you think about all the stuff that needs to get done, and you could just use a moment to be refreshed? 
Everybody wants that. This is what God is offering. So is it a command? Yes, it's a command. But friends, it's like God looking at us and being like, celebrate Christmas once a year. Do it. Be happy and share gifts. And I want you to cook a great meal and have all your friends over. Oh, twist my arm. Okay, that's going to be a tough one to keep. That's what Sabbath is. Hey, every week, have a miniature Christmas and just rest. Enjoy, delight, have fun. Do the thing that brings you pleasure and enjoyment. Twist my arm, God. That's a hard, no, this is a great command to follow. And that leads me to the second thing. It's not just a day of rest. The Sabbath is also a day for worship. Notice that phrase in Exodus 20, verse 10. He says, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, it's a day, a 24-hour period dedicated specifically to the worship of God. So friends, it's not just a day of rest. It's not just like God is going, hey, you've worked hard. You need a break. Take a day. Just kind of chill out. He's also saying, do that and set a day specifically aside for me. This is a day where you open yourself up to all that God is, that you open yourself up to his love, his truth, his beauty, his nearness, his shaping influence on your life, his authority, and you actually set aside a whole day, not just to rest, but also to worship. So here's the best Sabbath grid that I know to have, and I'm stealing this from uh, a guy named John Mark Comer who kind of gave me this grid. This was super helpful for me. Uh, When it comes to this Sabbath day, which my family practices every single week, we send everything through this grid of, is this rest and is this worship? In other words, every single decision that we make, all the tasks that need to be done, all the projects, all the desires, it's like, is this rest and is this worship? And there are times where it's like, ah, it's kind of rest, but not really rest. Like, I probably wouldn't want to do it if I didn't have to. Well, then don't do it because you have six other days to do work, but is this rest? And also, is this worship? Like, is it restful to binge watch a show on Netflix? Maybe. I mean, that could be debated. It's probably not restful, but maybe. But it's not really worship for me. Watching a movie with my family, that, that could maybe count, but a whole show by myself, you know, eating two bags of potato chip, probably not. That doesn't count as worship. So we send everything through the grid of is this rest and is this worship? And if you can catch anything, friends, I need you to get this, that when I talk about Sabbath and when Scripture talks about Sabbath, it's not the same as a day off. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I do this, I have a day off. I'm not talking about a day off. Because what do you do on your day off? You may not work for your employer, but you work in all the other areas that you've neglected all week long. Oh, I've got to mow the lawn, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do chores, and I've got to pay bills, and I've got to run these errands, and I'm meant to get that thing at Lowe's, and I've got to go over here and do this thing. And you just do all the work that you didn't get to throughout the week. That's what your day off is, but not Sabbath. Sabbath is a day set aside for rest, and for worship. Now, that leads me to the question that is commonly asked when you start talking about this. Okay, okay, Andrew, I hear what you're saying, but is, is this a binding command on Christians today? Are you saying that Christians today, 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus, still are held accountable to do this, to not do this, is to fail to obey a command from Scripture? There's all kinds of answers to this question. Many theologians say, no, this is not a binding command on Christians. They'll say there's no command in the New Testament to observe the Sabbath, which is really interesting. Out of all the Ten Commandments, 
Nine of them show up in the New Testament. This is the only one that does not show up in the New Testament. So they go, well, that means something there. It means that we no longer have to keep this command. Other theologians, in fact, many theologians, probably more theologians than not, would say actually it is a binding command. That this is an argument from silence to say, well, because we don't see it in the New Testament, that doesn't somehow make it null and void. It's still one of the Ten Commandments. You don't have other Christians running around being like, well, now that Jesus came, I guess we can murder people. Now that Jesus came, I guess we can steal and lie because the Ten Commandments are all thrown out the window. It doesn't work that way. In fact, they would say, look at Genesis. Look at the Old Testament. This is woven into the very fabric of our creation. And perhaps the greatest argument is that there's eternal language that's used when God talks about the Sabbath. He seems to really care about this. So is it a binding command on Christians today? Here's my opinion. Not that you're asking for it, but I get to give it to you because I'm one of the pastors and I've got the face mic. So here's my opinion. My opinion, this is not a hill that I would die on, but my opinion would be that I can make a strong case from Scripture that, yes, this is a binding command on Christians. Just like all the other Ten Commandments, this is something that God has given us as a command that he expects you and I to do. Now, you may disagree with me. That's 100% fine. But at least you can maybe agree that it's still a gift. Even if it's not a command, it's still a gift. Hey, take a day to rest and worship. And even if that's not seen to you as a gift, at least you can see the wisdom in it. There are a lot of things that are not wrong or bad or breaking some law of Scripture, but are unwise, right? Like there's no law in the Bible that says you have to sleep more than four hours a night. But it's wisdom to get at least seven, eight hours a night, right? Uh, there's no law in the Old Testament that says thou shalt not drink 47 cups of coffee a day. But wisdom would tell you if you do that, you're in serious trouble. Your kidneys are gonna fail and you're gonna be bouncing off the walls like a four-year-old. So like wisdom has something to say here. If you don't believe it's a command like I do, at least see it as a gift and see it as wisdom. Amen? Okay, now in light of that, here's what's really fascinating. Out of all the practices, prayer, fasting, uh, scripture, community, the Lord's Day, on and on and on we could go. This is the one that in the last 50 to 75 years has been the most neglected. Like someone did the men in black thing to our entire culture, and we have forgotten the Sabbath is a thing at all. It's really fascinating. Why? What happened? You can track throughout church history for nearly 2,000 years, even into the early 1900s, and this was a thing that every Christian everywhere just did and believed in. But something about American, specifically Western culture, in the last 50 to 75 years has gone away from the Sabbath altogether. Why? What happened? Some of us are like, Sabbath? I thought that was like a 1930s thing where all the, all the stores were shut down and you couldn't No, no, this has been something that Christians have done forever. What happened? Well, here's what happened. It's just un-American. We we invented computers, and the thing that was said about computers, literally when computers were invented, this will save us 25 hours of work a week. Little did they know that all it means is that you and I could be stuck at home and just work 55 hours a week on our computers. It hasn't saved us time. We work all the time. We are masters at work, and we are masters at play but you and I are a little bit afraid to just be. We don't know how to rest. So it's un-American. And the second reason I think that this has been neglected is because we often misread the teachings of Jesus and think that Jesus himself was down on the Sabbath. 
So let's go there. The third and final thing I want you to see, the Sabbath and Jesus. For Jesus, the Sabbath was essentially just a day to get into trouble. In Mark chapter 2, uh, he, he got in trouble for something on the Sabbath. Here's the story. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, Jesus' disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? In other words, the disciples are hungry. They're walking through the grain fields. It's Sabbath. They reach out to pick some grain to eat it as a snack, and this is how religious and legalistic the culture was, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders said, breaking the Sabbath. Now, if you carefully read through the Old Testament, you're not going to find one command that says, thou shalt not snack on the Sabbath. What you will have very clearly is, you shall not do any work of any kind. But defining work is really hard, isn't it? Because what's work to you may not be work to me. And what's not work to me may be like exhausting and overwhelming to you. Uh, for example, is it, is it right, is it lawful to cook a meal on the Sabbath? Some of you hate cooking, and that would be like drudgery and duty. I love cooking, man. Like, I buy cookbooks to read, right? I'm not kidding. I love cooking. I love watching shows about cooking. For me, cooking is full of rest. It's how I unplug. Others of you, it's like on Sabbath, you just need to order takeout for your own soul because you hate it. Uh, some of you love to mow your lawn. I don't understand that. I, my joy in mowing my lawn died so long ago. Like, I, don't, I just hate mowing my lawn. Some of you, it's like fills you up. Uh, some of you going to the gym is like the best thing ever. For me, don't ask me to go to the gym. I don't want to go. I don't like that you go. I don't want to hear about you going. <laughs> if you want to go on a 100-mile bike ride, sign me up. I did that yesterday with some friends. That was like, that was, I was, I rode for 85 miles with a smile on my face, full of joy. Last 15 miles, not so much. But all the other, it was really fun. I'm telling you that, not to brag, but also to brag. And uh, so it doesn't, like, we all have different definitions of, of what is restful and what is work, right? Well, what the Pharisees did is they said, okay, here's the, here's the law. Don't do any work of any kind. Let's build a fence around that law and another fence around that law and another fence around that law so that we never break that one. So, not only don't do any work, but to ensure that you don't do any work, you can only walk X amount of feet on the Sabbath. Still in Jewish communities today, that's true. You can only drive a certain distance. If you're going to cook, you can only cook in these methods. You can only do these things. So they built all of these laws. So listen, by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, there was law upon law upon law upon law that God did not give his people. And at the core of it was a gift that he wanted them to see, but the Pharisees lost the plot line. And we are notorious for doing this, aren't we? We take good commands that God gave us, like read your Bible and pray and gather in community and all these things, and we put harsh commands and restrictions over it, and it becomes a burden rather than a gift. And so notice what Jesus says in response to these Pharisees. And he said to them, I love this, verse 25, have you never read? It's always good when Jesus is like, oh, you've not read your Bible? That's weird. That's weird that you've not done that. Have you not read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and he and those who were with him, he, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who are with him. He, he quotes this obscure story. If you want to know more about that, go to our Gospel of Mark series. You can listen to a sermon we preached on this text. He pulls from this really obscure story, but here's the point that he's trying to make. Verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, 
not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It was so legalistic that that culture needed to hear the second part of that phrase. You were not made for the Sabbath. It's not like God invented a law and then was like, I need people to meet this law. You were not made for the Sabbath. But if that culture needed to hear the second half, what part of that verse do you think our culture desperately needs to hear today? I would argue that if Jesus were to address our culture today and a culture that is not legalistic, by the way, we don't have laws about anything. We don't have restrictions. We live in the most free, autonomous, express yourself, blah, blah, blah culture ever. The only thing that is law is to do what's right for you. And if anyone says not to, then they're wrong. So what would Jesus tell us today in a culture that has no rhythms or law? The Sabbath was made for man. That's the part that he would give us today. The Sabbath was made for man. God is giving us a gift here to be enjoyed, to experience more of his presence. And friends, I just want you to know that more now than ever before, Christians in the U.S. need to learn how to work hard, yes, but we need to learn how to Sabbath rest. We need this rhythm. If we do not build this rhythm, our lives are gonna continue to be hollowed out. We will continue to be enmeshed with our phones. We will continue to be so connected to social media that you will not have the heart space or the mind space or the soul space to actually care about what really matters in this world, to hear from God, to experience conviction of sin, to be shaped by his presence and his love. And if you can't slow down and be in his presence, we will have nothing beautiful to offer our world at all. We need a Sabbath. So let me close. Where do we go from here? Just a few things to to do. I want to invite you to cultivate a Sabbath heart. In his book, Mark Buchanan's uh, Rest of God, he says, before we keep a Sabbath day, we cultivate a Sabbath heart. A lot of you, your, your problem, and this is my problem too, your problem is not specifically that you don't know what to do on a Sabbath day. The problem is that you don't know how to slow down and just be. And I don't know if it's because of stuff your dad said to you or stuff that your mom did or family dynamic stuff or your own wiring and personality, but some of you, you're terrified to stop and be still. Because when you do, you feel sad, you feel depressed, you feel anxious, you have things boiling in your chest, and for you and for me, busyness is a way to whack-a-mole the existential crisis of our soul. If I can just stay busy, I don't have to deal with who I really am, and I don't have to deal with who God really is. I don't have to confront my problem. So I want to invite you, like, you need to do work around this. You need to figure out, like, maybe it's getting into counseling. Maybe it's getting pastoral help. Maybe it's reading books. Like, can I recommend two books on the Sabbath? The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan will help you cultivate a Sabbath heart. And there's another book by A.J. Swoboda called The Subversive Sabbath. I think we've got photos of these right here, so take a picture of those. These will help you cultivate a Sabbath heart. As you practice this, this is gonna get your heart in the right place, okay? The second thing I want you to do is I want to invite you to practice taking a weekly Sabbath. Yes, every single week, a weekly Sabbath. 
And I use the word practice intentionally because this takes practice. My wife and I were convicted and didn't know about the Sabbath until about five years ago. And we've been consistently practicing a weekly Sabbath every single week for around four years now. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. It has changed my life. It's changed the way that I work. It changes the way that I relate to my family. It changes the way I respond to God. It has changed my life. But man, it takes practice. And so many times my wife and I will have a Sabbath and we'll look at each other at the end of it and be like, that sucked. We just, we did terrible. We worked and we binge watched TV and we, you know, it's like we didn't get it right. But there have been other times where we do. It's like, man, God met us. And, and there's a moment where I go, ah, oh, thank you for this day of rest. Thank you for this day of worship. So when, when should you do it? Well, whenever. It doesn't matter. There's no law or rule. Just find a day, a 24-hour period, and Sabbath. Most of you, Saturday night to Sunday night could work. For my wife and I, it's Friday night to Saturday night. We do this every Friday night to Saturday night, except for when weird things happen, and then we adjust to our schedules to another day. And it's just so good. It's a 24-hour period that has a start time and an end time. And that leads me to the third and final thing. Just make it a day of rest and worship for you and your family or for you and your roommates or for you and your community. Just make it a day of rest and worship. So send everything through the grid of is this rest and is this worship. Pick a start time and day and an end time and go for 24 hours and put away your phone. I know that freaks some of you out. Hey, you're not as important as you think you are, okay? The world will go on. Everything's gonna be okay. Put your phone away. Rest for a day. Maximize it by prepping well. Figure out what you're gonna do for dinner. My wife and I like to do like a house prep and so we call it Sabbath prep because if the house is a complete total mess, mess and chaos, it's hard for us to rest. So we'll do some work, but then it's like once this time hits, we rest and then we slow down and we cook a good meal. We'll maybe get a bottle of wine or some drink that we like and just enjoy and eat and celebrate and feast and invite some close friends over or go to their house or whatever. And it's just to take a, a deep breath. And then you just do that, Friday night to Saturday night or whatever it is for you. And then just do, go where the energy is, do what's fun for you. Whatever, if like I could just do this in a day, that would be really great. Just plan out your day to do that with you and your family or you and your roommates or you and your friends. So what my family does is we light two candles on Friday night. One candle is helping us to remember the command to keep the Sabbath and, and keep it holy, to remember it and keep it holy. The other candle represents the grid of sending everything. Is this rest? Is this worship? We send everything through that grid. We light two candles. We'll pause and silence for a moment and just kind of ask for God to meet us as we rest, to slow down. And then we'll say a Sabbath blessing together as a family. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us to be a light into the nations and who gave to us Jesus, our Messiah, the light of the world. And then we just light the candles and we sit there. My wife prays or one of the ladies in our family prays and we eat together. We sleep in if our kids will allow, which they almost never do. And then we just kind of say yes to all the fun things that we want to do and all the restful things. You know, can I have a donut and four pieces of candy and a cinnamon roll? Yes, because it's Sabbath, you know? And we just, like, we just, just do what's fun and do what's restful. So friends, I'm inviting you, practice this because God is giving you this as a gift. Amen? Amen. All right, would you stand with me?